0: Thank you so much uh, for your faithfulness. I know that we have a lot of you traveling this week. It is the front end of fall break um, for us and all the surrounding counties. But if you're out there, you're tuned in now or later, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here. We're so glad to have you. We've had a great time of worship together already. We look forward to another great time of worship, and if you're a little bit chilly, that's good. It's harder to sleep when you're chattering your teeth, okay? We had them to cut the air down. Something wasn't working properly this morning, but I think things are working. It certainly feels like the air conditioner's working now, but I'm going to be sweating in a minute anyway. So all this series is about blessed assurance, light and love and life with Christ, right? And so I chose that theme, that titled theme, because a lot of what John is writing to us in this letter is, I want you to know that you know that you know. I've heard pre- preachers say that my whole life. I just want you to know that you know that you know. In other words, I want you to have a real assurance of your faith, eternal and abundant life in Christ. Well, this verse that we're going to learn over the next four weeks, 1 John five thirteen, really says it all. It sums up why the letter was written. So I want you to read it with me. I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but let's read it, and then we're going to begin memorizing it together in the coming weeks. You ready? Say it with me. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may—there you go—that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's right. That's beautiful. I've written so that you can know that you have eternal life. I want you to know. I don't want you to just think so or hope so or wish or dream. I want you to know. That's a very powerful word. I'll unpack it when we get there specifically. But, you know, before I was out, I did a message, Not One Mistake. Uh, We had the Stiltner family up here and saw that powerful testimony when he nearly lost his hand in the accident. We, We had a message called Praise Through Problems in Habakkuk. And then Kevin delivered a great message last week on being a mature servant, looking at the story of Philip, and I was really blessed by that. And he also introduced you guys to our third annual, Feeding the 5,000. Now, normally, we would do turkeys and pies and all the fixings, but... Um, Just to be honest, we couldn't get a thousand turkeys, y'all. I'm just telling you straight. They were like ridiculously expensive. I don't know if turkeys got COVID and there's a global shortage or what. If they would allow me in the state of Tennessee to have enough turkey tags, I might be able to fix this problem, but they'll only give me one in the fall and two for the spring. So I don't have enough turkeys, but we are getting giant chickens, big old chickens. So a lot of people like chicken better than turkey anyway, but we're getting chicken and then all the sides. So Ingalls and Food City and Carnes have both partnered with us. Go to one of those. Thank you for giving the 20 for the bird, for the pie, for the boxes, for the gospel literature. Thank you for getting the supplies. Go ahead and start loading up, bringing those in. And thank you for praying and participating. I was was looking back at our records. Do you know in the first two years alone that we did this, even in the midst of a global pandemic, in the first two years, over 200 people registered decisions that prayed to receive Jesus Christ for the first time in their life, 200 new brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, if... If you can't repeat a ministry that that has that kind of return on the investment, I don't know what you're doing. So we've seen many hundreds of people saved and baptized over the last few years. This year we're planning to see God show up and show out and do what only he can do. But we need to prepare and do our part. But we know that God's going to bless this. So thank you for participating. Thank you again to Kevin for introducing that and for giving you a fantastic word. Uh, Right before I took the break here from 1 John, we went back and we had two messages, one title from Uncle Huey. Y'all remember Uncle Huey's song, The Power of Love, right? And we said that the power of love reveals the people of God's family. It shows who's part of the family of God. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. The power of God's love reveals the purpose for God's Son. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is the perfect sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God for sin. And the power of God's love reveals the plan for God's people. God has a plan for you. Whether you know it yet or not, God has a perfect plan. Today, I was inspired by one of the greatest hymns of our faith. It's certainly in my top three, I'd say, of all time. I, when I was leading as a worship pastor out of the 91 Baptist hymnal, it was number 426. I'd memorized. I know this song is 426. And I used to love leading this. And uh, we're blessed. Tony and Nicole uh, Langford joined the Grace family this year. And uh, you came from the Chicago area, right? And Tony has played in some gigantic places, big churches and big ministries. But he is an incredible piano player. And we're blessed to have him on the team here with Pastor Jeff and the gang. And so he He's gonna give us the G. Actually, do this. Just give me the G, and I want to hear him first, Tony, and then join us on the chorus. I know you know this song. Now, if you don't know this, you got to learn it right now. Are you ready? Here, sing it with me. I heard an old old story. How Savior came from glory. How He gave His life. all right now let's be honest look at that word he loved me ere i knew him how many of you have no clue what air means come on be honest bunch of liars y'all don't know what that word means it's an old english word and i had no idea i'd sung it for years until i looked it up the old english word means before oh, you didn't know that he loved me before i knew him Here's the cool thing. That's exactly what John is teaching us in this letter. Before you loved God, God loved you. You say, well, how is that possible? Will you do that? Every parent in this room loved your baby before your baby knew you. I loved that little peanut when I first saw the first ultrasound with Heather, and then Holly, and then Hannah, and then Bobby. And then the greatest peanut of all, Lucy, came along, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, I still love my children mostly. So look, here's the thing. We love our kids before they even know who we are. God, your heavenly Father, loved you before you even knew him. He created you in his image, and he wants you to experience victory. Don't you parents want your kids to experience victory? I mean, don't you want that for them? I'm just telling you, you don't want to raise a bunch of losers, do you? You want your kids to have victory, man. We were going nuts at the football game the other night. We fought hard and they played well, but I'm going to tell you right now, if my kid does something good, I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream for the other kids too. But just like we get excited, our Father wants us to experience victory. In that light, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll look at 1 John 5, and I'll just read 1 through 5. Next week, I've prepared a message called, Can I Get a Witness? I hope you understand that phrase and what that means, but we're going to celebrate the eight baptisms that the student ministry just celebrated, and several more came forward too. They just had a big time, and these students were over there cheering for one another, holding signs for one another, jumping up, banging tables. I'm like, Why can't the adults get excited like that? So, we're gonna watch that video. We're gonna cheer for those students again, and we're gonna see what the witness of the water and the word is all about. So, let's read. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I'm a child of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. I'll explain. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. He's repeating that for emphasis. And his commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and here it is, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. So in that verse, overcome, victory, overcome. They all come from the same Greek word. I'm going to teach it to you, and I hope you'll never forget it by the illustration I'll use. And he says this, what is this that's a victory that's overcome the world? Look, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. Lord, he walks with us. He talks with us. He leads us. He guides us, directs us. I pray today that Jesus would be well pleased with this teaching from his word. I pray today that people would be stirred in their spirit, a a stirring of gratitude A stirring that would lead them either to trust you for the first time or to trust you for the first time in a long time. Some people need to come. Some people need to come back. But God, if anybody's moved, it's not you. So I pray today that hearts and minds would be open and receptive, that these here under the sound of my voice and those out there watching or listening now or later would get a touch by your Word and Spirit for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So, three elements of receiving and keeping victory. Three things I'm going to give you, very simple to understand. I'm a simple guy. Number one, victory in Jesus is procured through faith. Victory in Jesus is procured. Now, that's a fancy way to say acquired, obtained. We would say that's how you get it. In North Carolina, we would grow up saying G-I-T, get. So you get it. If you want to get it, you get it through faith. That's how you get victory. In fact, Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? So the one that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we're going to look at 1, 4, and 5. In 1, we have repetition of a particular word. Watch this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, we're going to skip to 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. That's noun, faith, Belief is verb, but they're from the exact same root word. He who overcomes the world, in verse 5, is he who believes. Again, verbal. So you have this use of this word, pistuo twice in the verbal form. pistuo to believe, to express faith. And then pistis, in the noun form, to have faith. It is the thing that we are believing. We're having faith. And I know a lot of you want victory today. I don't know of anybody that wants to be a loser. I don't know of anybody that wants to go through life always on the downslope, but do you really have faith that brings victory? Now, this is different than the power of positive thinking. There's so much of that out there right now. So many of the preachers on TV and online and many of the podcasts, sort of the power of positive thinking, just believe more. What's wrong with you? Can't you just believe? And people get frustrated in that vicious cycle. God, why can't I believe more? It's not about believing more. In fact, let me show you in verse 1 how this works. Look at verse 1. First we start with this whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever includes you. So nobody's exempt. You say, well, I don't know if I'm chosen by God or not. Well, if you believe, you're chosen. So get over all of that sort of intellectual acrobatics that you're doing. You believe. You start with whoever. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. And then when it says believes, that is a present active verb. To accept is true. To fully trust. Notice he didn't understand. He didn't say you have to understand every nuanced detail. You have to trust that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and God the Son. He died on the cross in your place for your sin. He was buried and raised the third day. And by his resurrection, you have hope for life beyond this. You have hope eternal and hope abundant. And you have what only Christ can give you. You have to believe. You trust. Trust what? Well, it says in verse 1 that Jesus is the Christ. When you trust that Jesus is the Christ... The Bible says you're born of God. You are born again. You were born from your mama, so that's your physical birth. Now you're born of the Spirit. That's your spiritual birth. You're born again. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Christ is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. Messiah simply meant chosen or anointed of God. God said way back in time, your sin has separated you from me. You need a Savior. Animal blood will never fully take away human sin, so I'll send the perfect lamb, the sacrifice, to take your place, to be your substitute. He will be the Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, again, we're not saying first name, last name. We're saying first name, title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the chosen of God. Jesus the one who took our place. And the faith that overcomes the world is very specific belief that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is. That means when you trust Christ, you trust who he is and what he's done. Your faith has no value if your faith is not rooted in Christ. Faith in faith means nothing. And John makes it clear here and in the beginning of his gospel, in John's gospel, he said, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. For those who believe in his name, when you believe in who Jesus is, You are adopted into the family of God. A lot of the false teachers in John's day were saying this. This guy Jesus, he was just born of regular old Joseph and regular old Mary. He wasn't divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit and Mary. He was born, but at his baptism, we'll talk more about this next week, but at his baptism, the Christ came on him, meaning he became the Messiah for a little bit of his life. He wasn't fully God at birth. He only appeared to be that. And so there were these different heresies that are beginning to show themselves, various forms of Gnosticism and such, in John's day. And these folks were getting pretty ugly. Some of these folks were trying to infect the church and separate and divide the church, and they were saying, he's not really who you think he is. And John says, oh, no, no, no. you got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that from the very beginning, he is the Son of God and God the Son. And so, what he's saying is, you've got to stay connected to God by your faith. I wrote it like this. Faith connects my circumstances to God's power. Faith connects my circumstances to God's power. Now, everybody knows what this is, right? I've used drop, drop cords before for different illustrations or extension cords or whatever you want to call them. This is sort of the outdoor model, I guess. A little thicker, maybe run the power tools and such. So your faith <clears throat> is like this cord. And a lot of modern teaching and preaching says you need to just have more faith. You need to believe. In fact, I was in a Christian science church once doing a master seminar. And uh, they were talking about how, you know, no doctors, no medicine, no this or that. You just got to believe. And if you believe more, you have no trouble. So I asked this gal on the way out who was wearing glasses. I said, ma'am, those glasses, I have corrective lenses in my eyes. But I said, why do you have those glasses? And she said, because I don't believe enough. And it made me sad for her. I'm like, no, sweetheart, you have those glasses because your eyes are all wacky like mine. It's just the way it is because sin affects everything. Sin has caused degradation in the body. Sin has affected our very cells, our very beings. That's why the earth groans. And so she just believed you had to have more faith. Faith in faith is just like this. Watch. Now, what good is that? faith in faith is circular. Is this going to provide me any power at all? Okay, so two people are awake. Now, for the other hundreds of y'all, is this going to provide me any power at all? No. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No power. It's circular. It's foolishness. Just believe to believe. Keep on believing. Name it, claim it, nab it, blab it, grab it. Come on, just believe. No, Jesse Duplantis, I'm not going to believe for your next private jet. You're wrong. I don't need to give you more money to hasten the return of Christ. You see, this belief in belief is garbage. What I need if I want power is I've got to find a source of power, right? I've got to find a source. I just happen to know that right down here in the floor, I can get connected. Now, the power's not made right there, but I'm plugging it in, and this is one of those fancier cords. It's got—Dale, I'll slow down so you can catch me. It's got that little light. Y'all see that little light? Can y'all see that glowing? I'll show you one better. So I got this lamp from the office and took the shade off so y'all can all see it. Now, everybody in here knows what's got to happen. If I've got this lamp right here and I want to connect it, I'll put it up here so y'all can see it even better. If I want to let my light so shine, you know that if the source of power is there and I'm here, all I have to do is what? Just plug it in, right? Right? I plug it in, and as long as I stay connected to the source of power, I'm going to shine. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I am telling you today that faith in faith is circular, but my faith is the cord that connects me to the source. You say, but I don't see where that power's coming from. I don't know what power station that's coming from. I don't understand how all that electrical stuff goes and works and all that. And I'm telling you, you don't need to see it. You can see the result in it. But I don't see God. I want to see him with my eyes. I want to hear him. Well, read the Bible out loud and you'll hear him. And so you say, I just need help believing. No, you don't. You need to connect your faith to God and quit being a whiner. Connect your faith. This cord has no power in it. Your faith. Okay, you can clap. That's fine. Your faith that is not connected to the Lord, does you no good. But when you connect to the Lord, I'm not telling you to believe for believing's sake. I'm telling you to believe in something and someone specific. Believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Stay connected, believing he is the source of all power. But I don't see it. I don't understand it. He's not asking you to understand it. He's asking you to believe. He's asking you to stay connected. Did that make sense? I'm not even done. I'm gonna give you one more free. You ready? Here it is. If you really want to know how to be connected, I want you to think about this like a three-prong cord. Now, if you're not an electrician, you may not fully understand how this works, but it's pretty simple. You have the main two prongs, you have a hot, you have a neutral. Unless both are in with our electrical system and AC, you have to have both connected, right? I want you to think about one prong, like Bible reading, Bible study. That is God's primary form of communication with me. He is speaking through the Word to my heart. You need to be a student of Scripture to stay connected. I want you to think of the other main prong as prayer. It's my primary way of speaking with God. and It also includes listening, but in this communication, the Bible and prayer let the power flow. But why do we need the third prong? What is the third prong for? What do we call that? The ground. Why do I need the ground? It'll work without the ground. I can still be connected without the ground. Brother, when the storm comes, you'll wish you had the ground. And the ground is a family of faith. The ground is the body of believers. That's why John is saying, do this thing called faith in community. Live a life in community. And if you're out there and you are disconnected from a family of faith, you need to get connected. I didn't tell you you had to come to grace, though it would be a wonderful choice. I'm telling you, you need to be connected because the lightning's going to strike and you need people around you. Plus, when you start acting all crazy and going all Willy Wonka on them like a sprayed cockroach, you need somebody that loves you enough to come back and say, hey, you need to get regrounded in the faith. Y'all follow me? That was free. Bible study, prayer, and a family of faith. If that made sense, say amen. Amen. Well, amen. All right, good. You understand, faith in faith is useless. Faith in Jesus lets your light so shine. All right, now, let's keep going. I'll leave the lamp, then I better not. Tony might just knock that thing off when he gets to play in. Let me do this. So, I want you to understand that you can be connected, that you can see power. You can have a light that shines, but you can't believe in this crazy circular reasoning. Are you connected to God? Are you studying the Word? Are you truly being a person of prayer? Or are you pretending? you Are just praying for your meals? And are you really grounded in a family of faith? Victory in Jesus is procured through faith. It is assured through love. You can be certain victory, when there's real love going on. The end of verse 1 says, Everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. That simply means this. If God made us, if I love the one who made me, I'm going to love the other folks made in his image. If God, if I love the one who begot me, my father, I'm going to love my siblings as well. And then he says in verse 2, By this we know, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, look, we can know this. We can know that we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, we're going to talk about this several times in the next few weeks. But do you have to have some great overwhelming experience to become a child of God? Just answer in your mind. Do you have to be super emotional when you trust Christ? Do you have to enter some ecstatic state well absolutely not some people have a very overwhelming experience they shed a lot of tears it's an instant change some people are highly highly emotional but I would say not the majority in fact I'm not totally discounting all emotion when it comes to Christianity, but I'm saying there is far more than emotional evidence for the veracity of our faith in Christ. If it's really true, it'll be proven in our love for the Lord and our love for other people. John keeps insisting that love for God and love for others are connected. Normally, he starts it this way. When you love God, you're naturally going to love others. Now he reverses it. He says, when you love others... You're showing your love for God. So he starts in the horizontal and he moves it to the vertical because all of the Bible can be boiled down to this, folks. Love of God, love of neighbor. Love of God, love of neighbor. John is saying love of neighbor is one powerful demonstration of assurance that you actually love God. I said biblical love is both vertical and horizontal. When we have God as our Father and we love Him, then surely, John says, we're going to love His other children. The problem is... We have a broken world and children may in fact love their parents but detest their siblings (gasps) no way Cain and Abel Jacob and Esau you and your brother that you fight with mercilessly I don't know I'm an only child shocker I know but I'm an only child I never dealt with this right all the toys were mine all the cookies were mine I still like it that way, if I had my way about it. But the reality is, having my own children, I have seen sometimes, this is going to shock you, that the preacher's kids would sometimes fight and actually act like they were going to kill each other. They've been hanging out with other preacher kids and deacon kids, I guess. So the reality is that sometimes siblings really detest one another, but they're called to love the, the parent or the parents. Well, here's the thing. In this day, John is saying there were false teachers among you that were anti-Christ, against Christ or false Christ. And what they were doing was they're causing division in the family of faith. They're trying to break off the grounding plug. And in that division, there is no real love of God because there's no real love of brethren. Brethren. And so every time that happens in the Bible, from the first siblings that fought, it led to murder. The second pair that we know about that are the most famous, Jacob and Esau, it led to a world of trouble that we're still dealing with even to this day, you might argue. And so the reality is sometimes family dynamics are stained and strained. But what about in the church? I would say that the world is watching and when churches are fighting with one another or infighting, I don't know how our light is shining well. And if you want more assurance in your Christian walk, then do a heart check this morning. How is my love for God? How is my love for my brother and sister in Christ? Not just in this church. We have a team right now in Honduras. A Grace Go team is in Honduras loving the people of God. They're not necessarily part of Grace. The Lindermans are, but the people there, they, don't, they may not know this church at all. That's perfectly fine. But our team is there to show them the love of Christ because if we can't love brothers and sisters here and around the world, then maybe we're not loving God very well. You cannot separate the vertical and the horizontal. So victory in Jesus is procured through faith. It's assured through love. And finally, victory in Jesus is secured through obedience. So what do I do if my love for God and love for others is out of whack? i got to repent and trust and obey. That's what he's teaching us. He says, by this we know the love, that we, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and, verse 2 says, and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. My kids tell me they love me. If they never ever obey what dad says. I begin to question whether or not that love is verbal only or whether it really means something. John doesn't just stop at this thought of love for God and others. He actually says, no, 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 love always leads to obedience. Love leads us to change our walk, not just our talk. John fourteen twenty one. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. You said, I want to see more of Jesus. Then obey him faithfully, and he'll reveal more of himself to you. He will manifest himself to you. You see, God's commands are not burdensome. That's what the Bible says. We love God, we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because love makes all the difference. The word there in the Greek for burdensome is heavy. God's commands are not heavy. When you truly love him I do things for my family because I love them There is no weight involved When it's my Cindy, my kids Miss Lucy, there's no weight It's like the story of the little girl Carrying a great big baby She had him kind of propped on her hip And a lady stopped her and said My sweetheart, that little fellow Looks too heavy for you The little girl said, oh he's not heavy He's my brother You've heard that right? It was actually a song from the 60s. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. No, I'm not going to sing it. But here's the deal. Real love, familial love, family love means duty becomes delight instead of drudgery. You know and I know much of what God expects from us. We don't lack knowledge, we lack obedience. I know what God expects. I know how I'm supposed to respond in this life. I know how I'm supposed to treat others. I know that I'm supposed to be honest, a man of integrity. I'm not supposed to take things that don't belong to me. I put all my energy on the wife of my youth. I don't have wandering eyes or hands. I know these things. I know that I am to be a man of integrity, to think on good things. I know these things. The struggle is not in the knowing, it's in the doing. But Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He talks about learning from him, and he says, look, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, yoke, if you'll stay connected to me, you will not be weighed down. I will walk with you through this. Now, let me make sure we're clear on something. Following God is not always the path of least resistance. In fact, it's rarely the path of least resistance. In fact, many times it may be harder to obey than disobey in the moment, but it's always going to be harder to disobey in the long run because the consequences are always going to catch up to you. Listen to this quote from the Holman New New Testament commentary. Obedience sometimes has a high cost. But disobedience always has a high cost. I hung out with uh, a group that uh, I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with at one point in my life, and because I don't want to glorify the sin, I won't go into detail, but I was with a group that weren't honoring the Lord in any way. In fact, it was counter to honoring the Lord, and I put myself in that because I thought there were real friends and real connections. I made a choice when I did get serious with the Lord to change that and to disconnect, and that was hard. It would have been much easier in the front end to stay with that particular group and keep doing the things that we were doing to dishonor the Lord. It would have been much easier just to hang with them. It was much harder to change. But had I stayed with them, it would have been much harder in the long run because I've seen where many of their lives have led and I've seen the the trauma, and the heartache that that path has led to. And I praise God that in making the harder decision up front, God's brought me to where I am today. Not perfect, not better than anybody, certainly no better than the folks I was with, but you have to make the hard decision. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. It may seem easier to give into the lust and the passion in the moment for that cheap thrill, but I promise you, That's gonna cost you. In fact, Proverbs says, don't be like the ox led to slaughter. Do not turn your eyes away from the one the Lord has given you. Don't hang with the crowd that's not doing the things that obey God and that honor God. But why does God require obedience from us? The same reason I want obedience from my children I want victory for them and I want good for them, not harm. I want them to be on a path where they will win and not lose. And the Bible says in the context of suffering, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, folks, that means this. It simply means if I walk in obedience to the Lord, then even if it looks bad to start, God's going to turn it around for good in the long run. But I got to keep walking this path of faith. Watch this. The straightest line between your life today and the life you long for is total obedience to Christ. I know the way a lot of preachers would say that. The straightest line between your life today and the life you long for is just to believe more. And I say, no, it's just to believe Christ. Not to believe more. All you need is faith of a mustard seed. God will grow your faith in time. It's not about faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And obedience is not nearly as hard if you realize it's both for God's glory and ultimately for your good, the reason some of y'all need to unplug from some things that may be hard right now, but the reason you need to do that is so that you can plug in to the power of God and the good things He has for you. I want you to live a victorious life. I want you to understand what it looks like. and I, and I want to show you something now as we begin to pull the train closer to the station. I want you to give you something memorable. I want to give you something that every time you see this, just the reason I do songs, to put an earworm in there, so every time you hear it, you're thinking. John introduces us to this subject, of the victorious life. And the Bible uses all kinds of terms to describe us as Christians. We're believers, friends, brothers, sheep, saints, soldiers, witnesses. But John highlights one particular descriptor of Christians here in John's letter. Overcomer. We've talked about it. Overcomer. It occurs 24 times in the New Testament. John uses it 21 of those times. Several forms of that word are used right here in 4 and 5. Now watch this, 4 and 5. For whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's one form. And this is the victory, that's actually another form of the same word, that has overcome the world, our faith. He says it again. Who is he who overcomes the world? Well, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So four times right there, we have variant forms of the same word. It's the word in its verbal form, to overcome, nikao. I'll put it in English. It, it, you wouldn't, if you don't read Greek, it wouldn't make any sense. So in English, I'll alliterate. N-I-K-A-O, Nikeo. or nikao, depending on how you would pronounce the coin in Greek. Nikeo or nikao. But then there's the noun form, and the noun form is the same root word, but it looks different, and it means victory. The core meaning just means victory, to be a winner, and that is not nikeo or nikau. It's n-i-k-e. Has anybody ever saw that word before? Aha. Uh-huh. Where does that come from? Nike. Nike. Well, let's show you a picture. Nike is actually a name. It's the goddess Nike. In Greek mythology, Nike is the winged goddess of victory. Do you see the wing? She is the winged goddess of victory. You say, what do you mean? You're saying John's writing about mythological creatures? No, 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 no. It's just the use in the language. Her name was Nike. When we take that from Greek mythology to Roman, the name becomes Victoria. You've heard that, Victoria. So the winged goddess of victory, Nike, well, a company some years ago wanted to make sure that when people wore their particular brand of clothing that they felt like a winner, that they were going to experience victory. What's the company? Yeah, show the swoosh. There's the swoosh. That is to be symbolic of the wing of Nike or the wing of Victoria. That's where Nike got its branding. And so every time, third slide, you see Nike, every time you see it, I want you to think, I can have victory. But according to this, it's not victory in a shoe, it's victory in a Savior. When I see that swoosh, I think victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Because here's the reality. If I know Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, then some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away, and I won't need any stinking wings to do it. The Lord will just simply take me with him. I will have victory. And so anytime you see the swoosh, I don't care if you wear the shoes or not. And believe me, I'm not getting any kickbacks from Nike here today. I just want you to know that this is from the Scriptures, that the Bible says you can have victory. Nikkei, you can be an overcomer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have our faith in him, our love for him, and it's demonstrated by our obedience to him Jesus would tell us these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace in this world you will have tribulation but he said in John 16 33 be of good cheer I have overcome the world I have secured victory over the world every time you see the swoosh I want you to think victory in Jesus Victory in Jesus is procured through faith. It is assured through love. And it is secured through obedience. When Joshua was going to battle Jericho, what brought the walls down? It wasn't fighting. It was faith. And when you find in your life that you are facing the wall, and the enemy is real. You have faith, and then what did Joshua have to do? He had to put feet to his faith, (laughs) y'all. He had to put feet to his faith. He had to walk. Now, what if he had walked one lap and said, I'm tired, and this is silly. What if he had walked two laps? What if he had walked three? What if he had gotten all the way up to lap six and God said, One more, my son, and victory is yours? And he said, This is the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Nothing's happening, God. Nothing's happening. What if he had stopped at six? I think the walls would have stayed up and he would have never secured the victory. But thank the Lord, he walked the seventh time. The trumpet sounded, the walls came crumbling down, the people entered, and they secured this victory in the promised land. You're going to win today, not by fighting, but by faith. As Tony comes back to the piano, I want to share this story with you. I think the band's going to come up, Eugene Monroe Barlett Sr. Eugene Monroe Barlett Sr. It's a great name. He's considered one of the founding fathers of gospel music, or specifically Southern gospel music. He was born Christmas Eve 1885. He committed his life to Jesus at an early age. He was a very successful businessman and he decided to invest most of his money in founding the Hartford Music Company out of Hartford, Arkansas. Bartlett's mission was to publish hymns and to teach singers how to sight read. When he wasn't instructing his students, he was an avid composer of hymns and songs. Now here's the deal. If I told you this name, Eugene Monroe Bartlett Sr., most of you have no idea who it is. As a music guy, I didn't know who he was. Bartlett's songs were by and large obscure, not very well known. But there is one particular song that is sung in thousands of churches every single week. In 1939, Bartlett was rendered partially paralyzed and unable to perform or travel because he had a stroke. He spent the last two years of his life bedridden. Amid such bleak circumstances, he would actually write his final and most beloved song. I want you to listen carefully to the second verse of the song we're going to sing the third verse in the chorus together I I think you've heard this before in fact this is where we started in his bed Bartlett said I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see anybody heard that anybody heard that And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and fix my broken legs. Right? No. The man is a paralytic. He is bedridden the final two years of his life. And he doesn't say, then I cried, dear Jesus, come and make me walk again. He says, then I cried, dear Jesus, come and what? heal my broken spirit because there's something more powerful than the ability to walk with your legs and that is the ability to move toward God by faith he said heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory stand with me right now we're going to sing it here we go acapella then you join us oh Vic, is that the G give me a G oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever He sought me And he bought me with his redeeming blood Come on now He loved me telling you, if you don't know that song, by the way, you better straighten up and fly right and learn it, okay? But if you do know it, I hope you don't just sing it. Because some of y'all in here, Jeff, I said this first service, man, and I still believe it. Some of y'all in here are going to sing that, and you're going to sing the great I am, and you're going to sing I'm going to see a victory, and you're going to go home tonight, and you're going to lay down, and you're going to toss and turn for an hour or two because you're going to be so worried about something going on in your life or with your family or with your job or with your finances, and you are going to fret, and you are going to turn, and you're going to say, somebody been talking to that preacher about me. Yes, they have. I know everything. No. So you're going to say, oh, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make a way. God, I can't believe you. Would you stop your whining and learn to trust? Stay connected to the power. Stay in the Word. Let the Word stay in you. Be a man and woman of prayer. Don't talk about God. Talk to God. And then stay grounded in your family of faith. And I guarantee if you do that, you will experience victory in Jesus. Are you all with me or not? Amen. Don't you go home and fret. Don't you go home and worry. Don't you go home and be anxious. Turn it over to the Lord. Some of y'all need to come to Jesus today for the first time. Pastors and counselors are ready to share with you. You can come now or you can come when Cindy and I will be standing here. We'll have people ready for you. We'd love to tell you the truth about Jesus and how you can trust him. Some of you need to come for the first time in a long time. You need to come back. We had some folks join in the last hour that had just been at Life at Grace. Some of you need to come and say, yeah, i got to nail that down, make it official. I want to bring my covenant. I want to join this church. Or you just want to know what next if I want to be a part. But man, I just believe, Jeff, I just believe there are some folks that need to come before the Lord and say, God, thank you for the victory I've already secured in Christ. You say, well, I came there a couple weeks ago with that altar. Well, aren't you a goody two-shoes? You shouldn't say thank you again. Can't you come again and say, oh, God? I don't deserve it. I never will. God, I don't understand why you'd save a wretch like me, but you did. And God, I want to keep being used for your glory. Some of you need to unplug from some things so you can get plugged into the right things in obedience to the Lord. This is a judgment-free zone. Whatever your reason for coming, we want you to know you're welcome on this holy day, in this holy place, at this holy altar, before a holy God. But don't you dare leave without being connected to him. Heavenly Father, I'm praying in the final few minutes we have at this time of invitation, as you call us to respond to the truth you've given us now, I pray that we would understand we are overcomers. We have victory, Nike, in Jesus' name. And I pray that some would come to trust him. Some would come to trust him again. Some would come just to express a heart overflowing with appreciation. God, move them now, wherever they are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching us today.